0: You're listening to the O'Reilly Radar Podcast. I'm your host, Jen Webb. In this week's episode, O'Reilly's Max Slocum chats with Christian Hammond, Narrative Science's chief scientist. Christian talks about natural language generation, narrative science's shift into the world of business data, and the evolution beyond the dashboard. Enjoy the show. Your company's technology is known as NLG. What is that short for? Uh,
1: natural language generation. Okay. So, uh, narrative science is actually an advanced natural language generation uh, company. And Quill is an advanced natural language generation system. And what that means is that Quill uh, takes uh, takes this data, it generates language, but it figures out what to generate before it generates language. So it doesn't just, you don't just give it a fact and it says, okay, here's how I'd say it. You say, here's some data. And it says, oh, I, I got to figure out the facts first.
0: Mm. When your technology first came out, there was apprehension, particularly among journalists, it seemed, that they were going to be displaced. A- has that actually come to pass? Uh,
1: as far as we can tell, uh, no journalist has ever lost their job because of narrative science or Quill or anything we've produced. And it's primarily because we uh, we really focused on those places where there there was a need, but the need was not for a single document that 100,000 people were going to read. Uh, it was much more for, oh, there was a uh, a single document that one individual would read, but there are gonna be 100,000 or a million versions of that document. Uh, and the notion really was that we would uh, focus on, uh, you know, what you kind of can think of as the long tail of content, uh, where no journalist would ever, no, there's not a journalist around who's gonna write a, an article uh, you know, that's gonna be read by three people. Uh, <laughs> well, they might, but <laughs> uh, I mean, they don't want to, yeah, right, right. they don't want to. And, um, and so we, that's, that's where we focused and that's where we, you know, where in, in the places where we are still in journalism, uh, where we, uh, where we still live. Uh, but, um, uh, but it was never for us. It was never, oh, we'll, we'll do, you know, we'll do major league baseball stories. Why? There are people doing that. They do a fine job and there's no pain there. No one is screaming. We need more major league baseball stories. Um, but we do little league stories and, uh, (laughs) we hook up to data from game changer and we write little league stories based on that data. We wrote 4 million of them last year. Is that right? And, uh, and, but it was because the, we knew that the kids would like it. The parents would like it. Everybody would like it. And, uh, there was no, there were no people there to do that job Mm -hmm. and there never would be and there and there shouldn't be. I mean, again, there's no journalist who's going to go and, and watch, you know, the, (laughs) it's quite <laughs> the mighty mites, yeah. the mighty mites <laughs> playing uh, playing the tiny zastros. Sure, uh, uh, and it's like, wow, this is great. Right, right. <laughs> uh, compelling stuff. Compelling yeah. stuff. Yeah. Uh, but Quill can do it, and uh, and the stories are the stories are great stories, and the kids love the stories, and the parents love the stories, and it's a real demonstration of what the capabilities are. It's generation of content where there is data, but there is no there are no there are no people, and the scale makes it impossible for human capital to be tossed at the problem.
0: Have you shifted focus beyond media? Oh,
1: um, yeah. Our our we started in we started in, in media, but we we pretty quickly uh, shifted um, our our view towards the world of of really business data and uh, uh, places where businesses have you know collected, maintained, um, expanded, uh, are doing analysis on all this data, and then at the end, what do they have? And if they're you know in the best of all possible worlds, that you get a dashboard. Mm-hmm. And it turns out that while that's better than looking at, looking at a dashboard, it's better than looking at a spreadsheet. Uh, for a lot of people looking at those dashboards, they they still can't figure out what's going on. And we looked at that and realized that we were actually at the last mile. That is, not to not to tell people what the data, not, it's not telling people what the data are, but telling people what has happened in the world through a view of that data. And so I don't care what the numbers are. I care about who are my best salespeople where are my uh, mm-hmm. logistical bottlenecks and Quill can do that analysis and then tell you, not make you fight with it, but just tell you and tell you in a way that is understandable and includes an explanation about why it believes this to be the case. Uh, and uh, and so our focus is entirely, I mean, well, a little bit in media, but almost entirely in um, in uh, proprietary business proprietary business data. And in particular, uh, we really focus on financial services right now.
0: So we talked about that a couple of years ago, where there was this possibility of NLG extracting insights from these vast repositories of data. It's been a while now. How are organizations putting that to use? I mean, are there particular use cases that that you can point to and say this is a really interesting application here?
1: Um, a- absolutely. I mean, the the uh, when you take a look at what our clients are doing, um, they're either uh, using the using the uh, the system to. Uh, to give them tremendous time savings. So having it be that someone who's running a fund doesn't have to spend three months reporting on it, they have Quill to do it in a half a second. Mm -hmm. Um, And and that's actually a great use case, a powerful use case, a time-saving use case. I think even more exciting for us is uh, organizations that have large customer bases, and they need to actually explain to their customers what's going on. And uh, they uh, use Quill to take a look at the customer's data uh, to take a look at other, uh, other cu- the data associated with other customers, figure out how that customer is doing, how that person is doing, and then reporting to them directly in something that's both personal and relevant um, and absolutely readable. So, if you are uh, for one, actually for one of our clients, it's they um, they produce a, a monthly commentary around how some how, how an individual's uh, particular investments are doing. Um, and it's not deep. Mm-hmm. It's just, here's how you're, here's, here's, what you're, here's what you're spending on, here's what you're saving, here's how you could save more. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's using their rules in terms of that side of thing, and then our analysis and generation in terms of the retrospective. Um, the MasterCard example uh, that I, I talked about uh, yesterday uh, is one where it's, uh, it's reporting to individual vendors as to what their, because of their transactions, what their business is looking like and how they could maybe improve their business and it's this marvelous world of the actually making good on the promise of what big data was supposed to do right but you can't you can't make good on that promise unless you communicate it in the right way and people don't understand charts they don't understand crafts they don't understand uh you know uh, you know, uh, 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 line, you know, lines on a page. They just don't. <laughs> You're right. yes. And it's like, and yes. we can't be angry at them <laughs> for right. being human. Instead, we should actually have the machine do what it needs to do in order to, to fill that, that gap between what it knows and what people need to know.
0: So is this evolution beyond the dashboard? Is it, is it taking root? I mean, I'm desperate to see it take root because that's where I would like to see
1: things. Go. Um, uh, absolutely. It's absolutely taking root. Um, and um, actually, we'll uh, we'll be uh, we'll be showing some things in January that really are what does it mean to take the articulation of what's going on with your data in associated with dashboards seriously, and what happens when you decide no, I don't, the lines aren't enough. Um, I really want the the commentary, and so in January we're going to be releasing a, a beta of something that will I think we will make you so happy, <laughs> It'll make you so happy, uh, and I think it will make everybody happy. The is. Really, like it's, that. Um, uh, <clears throat> I mean, for us, it really is the the point of the technology is to uh, is to uh, humanize the machine so that we don't have to mechanize people. Uh, and I, I always think it's a I mean I think it's a sad sad state of the world where we're, we're we keep technologists keep demanding that everyone become data literate, and what they mean is they that everyone has the analytical skills needed to look at a data set and figure out what's going on. And I always see that as uh, as technologists saying uh, we failed. We could not figure out how to, explain, you know, how to explain to you what's going on. And so you have to have our skills. And while I think it's a noble notion that everybody has these skills, it's not going to happen. Uh, and uh, at the end of the day, it's, it's not democratizing data to say we're going to do that. It's meritocratizing data. It's saying the only people who are allowed to understand what's happening in the world of, that based upon this data are the people who have these high-end skills. And it's like, no, 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 no. That's, that's not right. Um, we, it's incumbent upon us as technologists to move that data into information that is absolutely accessible to regular people. And if we don't do it, we have failed. And so that's really, that's a huge part of our mission.
0: Shifting gears a little bit here, what do you see happening with artificial intelligence in the short term? Two years or so, anything beyond that? I think we're starting to talk about
1: two years. Um, I think over the next two years, uh, we're going to see a, uh, we're actually going to see a shift in um, uh, in the business attitude towards artificial intelligence. And I think right now, businesses are really struggling with what's going to be my, my AI or cognitive computing strategy. And I think it's going to shift into, oh, I have particular problems. Are there particular AI systems that can solve these problems? And uh, I think that uh, what we're going to actually get is a much more uh, rational approach to the introduction of AI into into the business world. So it's not, oh, we need machine learning. It's, oh, no, we actually need to understand churn. Um, it's not that uh, we need predictive analytics. It's that we actually need to know when um, our supply chains are going to break down. And once you get into that mode where you're thinking about your problems and what the solutions look like, I think it's in a mu- you're in a much more powerful, businesses are in a much more powerful position to uh, to pick and choose and not be driven by, I read in the newspaper today that there's this thing, do we have it? Um, and uh, and really get away from uh, sort of hype and fear into really rational decision making. And I think that's 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 uh, I'm hoping that that's what the next two years are going to look like. I also think that we're going to see the commoditization of a lot of uh, what looks like um, uh, what looks like AI. I think it's particularly in machine learning and particularly in deep learning. Um, we're going to see the release of more and more Google's release of of the their machine learning API. We're going to see more and more of that coming out, where organizations can start thinking about how to integrate AI into larger products and, uh, and it will just, it will sort of vanish as a, as a label almost in a lot of places. Um, and I'm hoping that, uh, nothing big goes bad, (laughs) uh, because I lived through an AI, I I lived through one AI winter that was tough. And the, if we have a real, you know, if we have a, a business failure, a real business failure around, um, around AI or cognitive computing, um, it'll be a tough one to deal with. Uh, but I'm thinking right now, I'm looking right now and I'm thinking that there's enough in the way of embedded systems and u- systems in use now that we will probably be able to survive it, but I don't really want to deal with it. I really don't want to deal with it. Um, so, so that's it. And I also think that, that the, the you know, there, there will be strategies, people will, companies will develop strategies, uh, around what do we know how to do well that makes use of data that we can really, you know, codify, uh, and, uh, and turn those into automated systems, intelligent systems with the use of the technologies we now have uh, at our disposal. And uh, I think that we'll see a much more, a sort of much deeper automation uh, in, in what we consider now to be fairly high-end strategic thinking, uh, which I think is totally appropriate because that we have a really good handle on a lot of that. And uh, that means that we'll have a bit more, I think a bit more principled um, movement into the, into, the, into the business world of these technologies than we, than we, might, we might have now.
0: Last question for you. What people or projects are you following these days?
1: Um, I mean, I have to admit, I'm, I'm, I tend to be following, uh, the stuff I tend to be following is stuff in the world of uh, predictive analytics uh, and uh, advisory systems. I actually, for me, advisory systems, recommending, uh, recommendation systems, systems that are always focused on the future, uh, those are the things that are going to be the most impactful and interesting, primarily because if you think about why we want anything, uh, we want systems that tell us about what's going on in the past, not because we care about the past. Past is gone. Uh, it's because we want to be able to make decisions about the future. And the more, the tighter things are in terms of predictive systems, I think the better place we're going to be in terms of decision making um, and everything having to do with the cars. Um, and uh, I have a personal concern about the uh, about the cars and the notion of augmentation um, in that we do, uh, we do, a, we, have, we have a little bit of nascent work going on in aerospace. And one of the issues in air, in, in airplanes, in flying airplanes, is the transition between the autopilot and the human pilot. Um, and that's actually a very dangerous place. It's a very dangerous time, uh, for, uh, for a plane. And, um, with self-driving cars, I'm, the only thing I would worry about there is that moment of transition between it, it's an augmented system and you're with, it's dra- driving mostly, and then now you're going to have to take over. And if you're not ready, then that's actually a dangerous place. Um, and I think that's one of the reasons why the, the Tesla, actually, you have to have your hands on the wheel because they, they're kind of aware of that, but there'll be places where that that, that could be dangerous. Um, so I like augmented things, but with driving, eh, maybe not.
0: Right. right. <laughs> well, thanks so much for being with us. Oh, no, thank,
1: thank you. This was great. It was, uh, it's, always, it's always a lovely time talking with you. Absolutely. All right.
0: You can find Christian on Twitter at KJ underscore Hammond. Thank you for joining us. If you like the show, you can subscribe to the O'Reilly Radar podcast through iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, or SoundCloud so you never miss an episode.